When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Jones. Bowden. He's got it. England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four. And England have won the match. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket after a weekend of, well, all sorts of interesting performances. A sport for choice if you're a cricket fan over the last four or five days with nine county championship matches, all of them streamed on various platforms, easy to get hold of, and three IPL games as well. I've actually been up in the north uh, doing some recceing for our World Cup documentary, meeting Mark Wood's family and also Adil Rashid's family, uh, two obviously key members of that World Cup winning squad, and just seeing the, the club cricket starting to, to come out from uh, its hibernation. It's a little bit cold up north, but there have been people practising in the snow, and lots of good cricket has been played. Six draws out of the nine county championship matches and our focus today is actually going to be on batting because England month and a half away from the first test against New Zealand a little bit in flux not sure whether the uh, IPL contingent uh, of players will be back in time for that first test against New Zealand on January on June the 2nd so there's a lot of opportunity there for for batsmen to stake a claim to get into that first test match against New Zealand so lots of strong performances by various contenders in the county championship one of those victories Simon was your team against the strongly fancied Surrey well it was a a really surprising result uh, from my mind I was I think you know it's, it's a workman like Gloucestershire side it's not a, it's not a particularly strong side uh, but I think sort of they know what they're doing they know what they're about as a team and they took down Surrey by eight wickets uh, on the chase in, inside 40 overs, needing 228 or whatever it was to win in the fourth innings. They, they nearly got to the situation where rain ruined it as well because they came off a rain about 10 to 5 on the last day with about 40 needed, but they managed to, to get back on as well. Uh, Graham Van Buren uh, making 100, and Chris Dent getting runs in both innings as well. He's, he's one of those players actually over the 
in the last few years, has scored an absolute stack of, of championship runs. I mean, his average is not particularly good, but he has scored a lot of runs in, in, the, in the way that... So remember when Rory Burns got into the England side, people looked around, well, who scored the most runs in, the, in county cricket in the last six, seven years? And Rory Burns was at the sort of top of the list. And Chris Dent was up there as well. But of course, he was getting most of his runs, or all of those runs, in the second division. But, you know, in terms of focusing on who could play in the England team in the first test match if they're missing several players because of the IPL. I mean, the, the, the more the bigger focus from Gloucestershire, I suppose, is on James Bracey, who's, who's 23 years of age. He is average. Again, he's not, he's not particularly good. He averages in, in the mid-30s in first-class cricket, but he's been around that England uh, squad. He practised with them last summer. I know they, they like him and you know he's, he, they feel he's got a, a good attitude. I'm not saying he will play this summer, but he's one player. And of course, in that match, uh, Rory Burns did get some runs in the second innings, but Ben Folkes uh, made 100. There were a lot of runs around. I noticed in your introduction there, Yoz, you said in the first test in uh, in January, uh, no, June, but of course it has felt a bit like January <laughs> over the last few days. When I woke up this morning, it was sleeting outside, and of course we had snow at Old Trafford, and that wonderful picture, I, I actually retweeted it, Tani Aldred took it at Headingley at, at lunchtime on Saturday with sort of snow covering. I mean, it really did look like January. It, it's definitely been a time over the last few days, bizarrely, when you think about it, the opening round of the season for, for batting, certainly not fielding. When we had Scott, yeah, well, that's that's a good, that's a very good point actually. And, and as you were about to say there, we had Scott Borthwick yeah. on, on our podcast the other day, sort of saying you're looking forward to the season and probably you know put people in and all that. But actually, uh, he struggled. He got a naught and a, a single, <laughs> but he's one of the only batsmen who has struggled. I mean, a lot of batsmen have been doing really well. Uh, there have been six scores totals of over 400 in those nine games and two double centuries. We're going to hear actually from one of those double centurions, Tom Wesley, who made. 213 for Essex against Worcestershire, the Essex captain, of course, talking about the beginning of the season and actually the fact that there's now eight points for a draw, which I wonder whether that mm. might have been an, an inducement to, to teams to just really stick it out and, and bat for longer periods. And as I say, we're going to focus on batting today. Not only are we going to hear from Dom, Tom Wesley, but also from David Gower, who was our guest in the Virtual Cricket Club last week and has some interesting things to say about starting out in test cricket and what can shape or or determine your future. And by the way, this Wednesday on the batting theme, we've got Sir Geoffrey Boycott in the Virtual Cricket Club giving us his time and his uh, expertise and knowledge and all sorts of uh, tales of his experience over the years. Um, he's going to be speaking to us from his home in Boston Spa Wednesday night, 7pm. That's an exclusive opportunity to listen and talk to Jeffrey if you can get a word in edgeways there is the opportunity to ask questions on screen in our virtual cricket club you can join us by going to worldsbestcricketclub.com as we have said several times before it is six pounds a month but it's in aid of the cricketers trust the professional cricketers trust the charity that supports uh, players who've fallen on hard times and the six pounds a month buys you four live events including the boycott one this Wednesday and I'm sure that'll be an entertaining evening so Wednesday night 7pm Jeffrey Boycott and as I say this podcast today is very much looking at the runners and riders for who might play in that first test match against New Zealand correction in June (laughs) they could be missing a few couldn't they it very much depends on the IPL for those of you who don't know what the situation is basically 
and the IPL sort of goes to the 30th of May and the first test is on the, the 2nd of June. I mean, there are sort of quarantine issues coming back into the country and quarantine issues. So if if your team makes the, the, the latter stages of the IPL, sort of the playoffs, then you, it's hard to see uh, anyone who's playing in those latter stages of the IPL being able to play in the first test match. Of course, the other thing as well, if you're not playing very much for your IPL franchise, there's a possibility that you might be released. And Chris Wokes was talking about this in the, in the Virtual Cricket Club a couple of weeks ago. So saying that you know if I, if I don't play then it might be that they say well yeah you can get you can go back early and prepare for that first test match of course Wokes did play on Saturday in the opening game because there was no uh, Nokia and no uh, Rabada for the Delhi Capitals a match I commentated on uh, for the BBC so they they were in quarantine I mean it's, it's so complicated isn't it at the moment they were in quarantine because they were playing for South Africa against Pakistan in a one-day series so they weren't ready to play but actually Wokes took his chance he bowled uh, really well in a match that involved four England players Moen Ali hit the ball well got hit around uh, Tom Curran bowled well he got hit around eventually though by Sam Curran who, who played a, a really good innings and then and Curran uh, with the ball wasn't that effective so um, they, they all featured and they all did they all did well in, in parts uh, those England players so anyway that that's the issue Will they be back in time for the first test match? So we're expecting at the moment no Stokes, uh, no Josh Butler for that uh, first test match and no Besto. Now, we don't know whether Besto would have been in that England test team anyway. Uh, he, he was in and out, wasn't he, over the winter and struggled at the latter stages of that India series. So potentially there are opportunities. But, um, but what do you think at the top of the order? I mean, to me, it seems as if Burns, Sibley and Crawley are, are going to play in that First test match. I mean, yeah, but it depends. The continuity. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, it depends how they do in the championship, really, doesn't it? Because you certainly don't want players who haven't made a run, really. And so far, as you said, Rory Burns got a seventy against Gloucester, but Sibley so far hasn't made any. I mean, I think of those two, Sibley probably has the better credentials to get into that first test. He's been in the side consistently now the test side for some months whereas Rory Burns was dropped in India uh, obviously coming back into the side perhaps for the test series in England might suit Burns a bit more but he hasn't had a great run really the last 12 months or so having started reasonably well the year before so I think certainly the the, the Burns place places up for grabs Crawley yes uh, uh, clearly he's a man with a big future but, you know, there'll be periods in his career where he struggles. Uh, he hasn't made any runs so far, though, hasn't had much opportunity, only one proper innings, really. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm sure that, uh, that Crawley will be there in some form. And then, of course, you've you also got lower order. You've got, will it be Dan Lawrence? Will it be Ollie Pope, who's failed twice so far in the championship? Uh, Bracey, as you mentioned, folks, you know, there, there's a lot of, Opportunity up for grabs. Tom Wesley's made a bit of a statement with his double hundred. And James Vince with 260-odd, I think, for Hampshire in their total of 600. Uh, both men over 30, but Graham Gooch made more test hundreds over 30 than he did before he was 30. Yeah, Vince making 231 uh, for Hampshire in that game against Leicestershire. I, I mean, I think it's worth underlining, without being too disparaging uh, towards Leicestershire, it, it was Leicestershire. 
So, you know, I'm not, and, that, and that's not to detract from uh, James Vince's score, not by any means, but you have to sort of think about the, the, I suppose, the standard of that bowling and the standard of bowling that, you, that England are going to be facing in international cricket in the next 12 test matches. Two games against New Zealand, five games against India, five games against Australia. I mean, Vince is he's just one of those uh, sort of frustrating players, and we've talked about him a lot before. He has so much talent. But uh, when he has been asked to uh, deliver, it, you know, it, it's rarely happened. 24.90 from his 13 test matches so far. As you say, he's, he's 30 years of age. I mean, do, do they give him another go? Do they say, well, like, we, you know, we think they... I mean, you're right. I mean, I suppose if a player does score really heavily in, in April and May, you know, really heavily, uh, 700, 800 runs. I mean, actually, there's a chance for 1,000 runs... Uh, before the first uh, test match this summer, because it's unusual, isn't it? But it, there is a chance this summer because of the fact there is so much county cricket. Mm. Yeah, and and Vince with his double hundred is already you know twenty <laughs> yeah. percent of the way there with yeah. eight games to go or something. So or so, a number of games to go. Um, so th- there is the chance, and I think the dry spring as well, uh, notwithstanding today's weather, has probably helped the groundsmen mm. produce slightly flatter pitches as I said six totals of over 400 and several centuries an interesting turnaround actually in the the match at Lords another contender or another ex-test player Sam Robson made 160 odd and then Middlesex lost that game having really got Somerset uh, by the curlies by the short and curlies so you know there's been some interesting cricket uh, but I suppose the key to playing test cricket and being successful at test level as a batsman is starting well. And that's one thing that David Gower did do and that James Vince hasn't really. Yeah. When you say starting well, you mean getting a consistent run of scores early on in your test career. Not starting your innings well, but starting your career well because it gives you that, that confidence that you know if you, if you do fail. Let, let's hear David actually on, well, talking about uh, batting in general, but also uh, talking about James Vince because both, both Vince is playing for Hampshire. David uh, played for Hampshire. I wonder what his assessment uh, is of James Vince. By the look of it, he's going to be one of those unfortunate players that has certainly enough talent to have made more runs at the highest level. Um, I always feel very, very sorry for him about that first innings at Brisbane, that last Ashes tour of his, where if he hadn't run himself out and had made mm. a properly big score, you know, he might still be playing test cricket now. Um, it's, you know, that, that is the way, sadly, this game sometimes works, because if you don't establish yourself at the right time and take the chance, and one or two other things go wrong subsequently, that's why you end up as being labelled a sort of a nearly player as opposed to you know one of those that has had a long and successful top level career but I mean I've, I've seen him play on TV in the ashes I've seen him play the short forms of the game where he is a magician as well I mean this is this is why he's so good because he has the talent to uh, prosper at uh, the longer game and the short game. Do you slightly I don't mean identify with him in the sense that um, you know he's he, he, you know you you can be as as a sort of carefree style of player, which he sort of is, and you kind of were. Although I know you don't mm. necessarily regard that as as an accurate description, but I mean, other people I'll live with it. saw you. Live with well, it. other people saw you like mm. that, and yeah, I, I oh, suppose yeah. it does look. I'm just actually looking. Funny, I'm literally looking at your test record at the start, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, we all know. So you hit your first ball for four, but your first four innings. 
58, 56, 39, 111, 46, 71, 44, 102. I mean, amazing start. And I guess, you know, that just gives you so much confidence to be able to play your way. Yeah, and one of the things I've always had to admit, though, is that um, that summer of 78, um, 78, that summer was against a slightly below strength Pakistan who had lost a couple of players, cut their best players to World Series cricket uh, against New Zealand, who were not quite the force then they are now, albeit with someone called Richard Hadley, who was a very, very, very fine bowler. Um, but yes, you get into test cricket. I mean, the one thing I, I, I say happily is that it wasn't quite the baptism of fire that it might have been, for instance, compared to Graham Hick, who started his career against the West Indies and was very much targeted by them. You know, it's a very different ball game. That one that, I mean, the quiz question is normally who bowled the first ball to me in, in test cricket, Leah Catali is the answer. The difference here is that Leah Catali at about sort of 75 miles an hour, halfway down on a nice bland pitch in, uh, at Edgbaston is not as frightening as say Kirtley Ambrose or Michael Holding or Michael Marshall or you know, any of those you know, 30, or, 30 or 40 West Indies quicks of the eighties who all seem to let it go at about 95 miles an hour when they really wanted to. Um, so I was very grateful for that start, that introduction to test cricket. And you're right, it then gives you, um, I mean, you're still going to make runs, obviously, but it then gives you that base, that solid base, where even if you have a, a, a bad season, I had, a, I had a bad run a couple of years after that, uh, as it happens, against the West Indies, and you get left out for a moment. I then came back uh, for the West Indies tour the following winter and got runs there, so proving that I could do it. And at least as I say, that base at the start gives you all you need to know that you can um, mm. you know, cope with the, the atmosphere, mm. cope with the responsibility, and you can play. And it's as simple as that, you can play. I'm just looking at Vince's record here, mm. um, and his first you know, 10 innings or something, 9.35, 10, naught, 10, 42, 16. So, you know, right, and yeah. another few 20s and 30s and things. I mean, it just, it must just be so frustrating i guess as a player not and, and also not knowing if you need to change whereas you must have been confident in the fact even if you were dropped after a while i can't quite understand why mm. but well i suppose that was the era when you know people were dumped for sort of almost inexplicable reasons at times but um if you have played consistently well scored runs in your way that immediately gives you that sort of feeling whereas vince i suppose just must be still doubting himself and and also I, I get, yeah. the other thing would be the, the other thing with Hick, of course, that was different mm. in a way. Also, was he was there was this massive expectation because I think he'd almost scored a hundred hundreds before he'd even played for England or something like seventy or something. So yeah, I, it was I'm, people I'm sure were sort of expecting so much more from him. Yeah. And, whereas you came in, you played your first test at twenty one, I think, didn't you? Twenty one. Um, I mean, yes, but for Graham, you're right. That expectation was enormous because he'd smash runs for seasons before that, while he was qualifying. As you say, the weight of expectation, that extra pressure, and I'll make the point again, you're playing against, I think it was Walsh and Ambrose who he had to make his debut against. Mm. That's tough. You could see they were looking at him thinking, right, we are gonna make life seriously hard for this man because you know, there is all sorts of things, all sorts of things at stake. Pride, there's a game to be won. There's this reputation. They were very happy to dent as quickly as they could. And it took Graham a good couple of years, I think, didn't it, to really, start to settle into test cricket. And he probably had, I don't know, two or three good years where he got the sort of runs that he should do with that sort of talent. Then it tailed off again. So if you look at his 
overall figures, um, they will be disappointed for a man of that extreme talent. Of course, there have been England Test batsmen recently who've got scores or even got hundreds early on in their Test career. You think of Sam Robson, you mentioned him earlier. You think of someone like Adam Lythe. You think of someone like David Milan. They, they have all got Test hundreds, but it's, it's about that consistency of scoring early on to, to build your confidence, I suppose. And in, in the case of those players, there was that sort of itchiness, really. You know, it's not quite working. They don't look quite right. OK, they have got 100, you know, our, our sort of standards are a bit higher, but it's almost as if our expectations have just lowered a bit in in the last sort of year or two, and our patience has grown because we've England have tried so many different players in their batting order, not least at the top of the order. It's like, well, we can't keep changing again. We have to have a bit of patience. So at the moment, it does seem that that, that sort of axis at the top of Burns, Sibley, and, and Crawley will will probably probably enjoy. I know Burns was was dropped and, and Besto came back in India, but I wonder, you know, with Besto like to be unavailable. Whether Burns will will slot back in. Interesting to see how it, how it works out. And Burns so far, twenty three tests averages thirty. Sibley, eighteen tests averages thirty. Crawley, twelve tests so far averages thirty four thirty four point one five. It's interesting. I've had a look at all the sort of you know, what you might consider the main contenders, and there's a list of about twelve or thirteen uh, batsmen who are you know reasonable contenders to to play in England's Test side in the next. Uh, 12 tests and only one of them only one of them Joe Root I would say has a significant average Root averages 49 the rest are in the 20s or the 30s and Ben Stokes averages 37.04 and of course he's got his bowling to to, to back that up as well um, it, it is quite thin isn't it that that England batting lineup and, and there's no doubt it's going to be severely examined in in the next um, well the next certainly the next 12 test matches I mean, it's obviously difficult batting in England. It has been difficult over the last four or five years, especially at the top of the order with the ball, the, the Duke's ball with its proud seam and you know green early season pitches. It hasn't been easy for batsmen to, to build big scores, lots of early wickets. I mean, I remember watching Middlesex North Ants and uh, I, I went down to watch them. Ben Duckett was opening the batting for, for North Ants and I was with Nigel Felton, the uh, North Ants, former North Ants player and mm. now selector. You know, and he was really looking forward to seeing how Duckett would go. This is two or three years ago, uh, early season match. Uh, he's got a chance of, of playing for England, opening the batting for England. And North Ants were something like 40 for seven in about 10 overs. You know, and Duckett was out third or fourth ball. And, you know, it was just an absolute, uh, it was carnage, really. I think the key, that just going back to Gower, you know, is... You do need to start your test career well as a batsman, especially if you're quite a free-flowing sort of player, because it's a reassurance. If you start your career well and you make runs, it's a reassurance that that is, that is working, that will work at this level. Whereas if you get out a few times cheaply, playing slightly wafty sort of shots, as Vince has, as Joe Denley did before him, as actually David Milan has as well... You start to doubt whether that method will work at that top level of the game. And that's where Gower was an exception because he did play that way, but it did work. And he, he was incredibly consistent and obviously hugely talented. So it, it's about that, the, the, the batsmen who especially play that sort of fluid way, that fluent way, that carefree way, uh, getting early success. And then that's, that, that to them is, is a reassurance that they can play on like that. Interestingly, Gower, in fact, said that one of his early influences was Garfield Sobers, watching him bat. And there's no one 
more free-flowing than him. And, of course, he, in probably about his third Test match, that's when he made his 365 not out, the world record Test score. So it always helps if you if you start well. Brian Lara made 277 in an early Test match in, in Sydney against Australia. Uh, these guys were the geniuses of the game, of course. And interestingly, all left-handed as well. Why is it left-handers always look slightly more aesthetically pleasing than right-handers? And I'll put Milan in that bracket as well. Yeah, I'm not, not sure. Um, but, I mean, de- certainly David Gower was one of the most aesthetically pleasing players in, the, in all the time I've been watching. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you talk about one player to sort of bat for your pleasure, you know, you sit in your deck chair or whatever, sit in your sofa. If, if there was one player, I think, of the last 50 years, I think you'd, you'd say David Gower. He's a, he's a beautiful player to watch. And, of course, you talk about starting well, because I think that innings from Zach Crawley last summer has got you know made everyone sit up and, and take notice as well, and he so he's got the confidence of that huge double hundred against Pakistan uh, behind him, which you know, he will hope and the selectors will hope and England supporters will hope will will help set up a decent Test match career for him. I mean, one player who who has been tried by England and discarded is is Tom Wesley, who did start the season well, double hundred uh, for Essex in their opening county match. He played five test matches, highest score of 59. He averaged uh, 24 in those five test matches and then was was, was discarded. Is, is five test matches enough? Well, I think the selectors felt it was enough to have a look at him and say, no, this is quite what we want. Um, but you, you've been speaking to him, Yoz. It, it must be lovely after that uh, horribly interrupted season last year. I guess it must be, be lovely just to be out there and playing again. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think um, it was a challenging year last year with everything that was going on, but um, it, it feels a lot more normal uh, this time around. Um, it's obviously a shame that we can't have fans and supporters back in, but it's um, it's nice knowing that we're obviously playing the county championship, albeit in a different structure, and also um, defending the Bobbleist trophy. So I think you know, two titles up for grabs does make it that extra bit special. Now you had a you had a tremendous start personally, uh, a double hundred against Worcester. Um, t- tell me about your batting. Yeah, like it's very pleasing, like from a personal point of view. Disappointing not to force a result um, as a team, but I think you know I, I, I scored more runs in one innings than I did the entire campaign last year, I think, or around about that. So I think it was quite pleasing to you know start the season strong, and it's, it's a bit of you know. Um, sort of like a monkey off my back to some extent where, you know, as captain wanting to score runs and lead through performance was bitterly disappointing not being able to do that last year, you know, feel a bit like a passenger. Um, so I think to, to start the season personally with, with, with the double hundred is, you know, is, is very pleasing for myself and, you know, my batting, I've, I've tinkered a few things, I've worked on a few things this, this winter with Tom Huggins and Anthony McGrath, um, just implementing you know my strengths and my alignment my balance just to to make my super strengths that much better which obviously has, has worked initially yeah. anyway um, <laughs> to begin with yeah one of the things we've talked about on this program today is the importance of especially at, at international level but also at county level as a batsman so starting well and uh, not just a season, but a, but a career as well, actually. And, and if you can start well, then I, I guess that's a reassurance for uh, being able to play that way and you know that you can do it. Um, how important is it to start well, both a, a season and a career? 
I, I think it's you know hugely important. I, I know everyone wants to start well. Not everyone you know has the capacity to, but I think anything. So like I touched on earlier, starting well as, as a captain, wanting to score runs, starting well when you're making your you know first class career and starting well if you have the luxury of playing international cricket. I think it's a huge. Um, it's you know it's a huge it's a huge plus if you can start well. Um, I think you then have experiences to draw on immediately. You know you tick that box. Um, it eliminates a lot of doubts. Um, and I think you know it, traditionally, if you look at the most successful players, say Cookie for example, scoring a hundred in his first Test match. Obviously, we see him like day in day out at, at Essex. You know it's a huge. It, it does make a massive difference. Um, how and why people do, you know, I, I obviously can't answer, but I'd imagine it's those that are you know, incredibly strong-willed, have an innate ability in their own ability, um, and concentration, implement their game plans, are the, are the successful ones. But it is, it's very important to start well, and, um, and hopefully, that, obviously, myself starting well this season, that can kick-start something special this year. There have been two double hundreds and six totals over 400 in the first round of championship matches. Quite unseasonal in a way. Yeah, bizarre. Uh, early April. C- can you put your finger on why? I, no. Um, well, no, I'd be lying if I was to have a guess. Uh, you could you could potentially argue, that obviously, things slightly back to normal. Everyone's desperate and hungry to do well. Um, Too cold for bowlers? too cold yeah it's obviously there's quite a bit of snow around um I, I honestly i cannot work it out i mean looking at the scorecards and looking at the groups you know to have that number of draws in the first round of championship games is i'm guessing unheard of for for many seasons so i i, I don't know how it's happened i don't know anything how... to do with pitches i mean are the pitches a bit drier is the ball got no, a lower so seam or you know anything nothing, like that nothing 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 that the ball seemed normal the pitches at Chelmsford for example was a traditional Chelmsford wicket of what we expected um I was just chatting to Fletch there now um and he was saying that it just goes to show the groundsmen don't really know what they're doing so <laughs> um but yeah it's, it's a strange one like I was not expecting that at Chelmsford for the last three or four years where the average first team score has probably been either side of 200 so they have two innings either side of 500 is remarkable um and, and you know that's not what we want to play on. Um, I, you don't mind if that's uh, a rarity, a wicket like that. Um, but you know, we we actually we want games to last four days, but we do want results at the end of them. Well, perhaps the bowlers and and groundsmen will, will bite back in the second round. Yeah. And what about uh, one final thing, Dan Lawrence? Uh, obviously, uh, I mentioned at the start here that there are men in contention for various batting order, batting middle order places for England. How's he going? I think Dan's in a fantastic space um, at the moment. I think he was very unlucky um, this this game, you know, and I think he's bitterly disappointed not to go on and get a very big hundred. I think he was a bit unlucky in this dismissal. If you if you do see it back, I know you know as batters we're always a little bit biased and think we're not out, but yeah, that was a touch and go one. Um, but since he's come back, he's been he's just maturing year on year, um, and it's a you know it's a matter of t- when he's going to start scoring huge hundreds for not only Essex but hopefully for England because um, he's in a brilliant space uh, he's, he's looked the best batter on show like if, I know he only got 40 in that first innings but he was comfortably you know the best batsman to watch um, on day on that, that first day so you know I've got a lot of confidence that Dan will you know go on and play a lot for England um, 
and I think he's given himself every chance to do that. The way he's preparing, everything. He's he's a he's a model professional now at the age of twenty three. I think he is. And and you're at uh, a second team match today, doing your your captain's mm. bit, uh, checking out your, your reserves yeah. and all that. Um, how's it going? It's good. Essex are currently bowling, and I believe that they are Durham are thirty for three after twelve or fifteen overs. So good competition for places up for grabs this is what you want I think that's going to breed that's been a large part of our success actually guys that have come into the first team have been able to you know hit the ground running um, so hopefully we can roll Durham 2's and get batting So who's going to be the top seven for that first test match against New Zealand it's still a, a while off and there's plenty of county cricket to play between now and then a lot of IPL cricket as well to be played between now and then we don't quite know who's going to be available but if the players who we think are not going to be available don't make it back because of a quarantine I mean to me it looks as though it, it, it almost picks itself uh, Burns, Sibley, Crawley, Root, Pope, Lawrence and Folks as England top seven and that means of course no Stokes no Butler no Bairstow IPL uh, James Vince probably not David Milan I mean to me David Milan is a, an, an outlier potential pick for the Ashes because he's got an Ashes 100 and he's got a lot more test match experience I'm sorry a lot more international experience now both in one days and T20s I wonder whether he might come into the frame uh, for the Ashes, in, in, in which case they might want to look at him a bit earlier than that. But of course, he's at the IPL as well. And then there's uh, Moen Ali. Uh, he's out at the IPL as well, sort of lower order player. So to me, uh, unless someone like Bracey gets an absolute stack of runs and someone like Burns doesn't get any runs, then I, I think that was most likely to be England's top seven for the for the te- first test match against New Zealand. But it's, I suppose it's up to players to really sort of forge forward and, and score mountain runs and, and say to the selectors, look, here I am, look, here's, here's my quality. Um, just looking at who England picked for their last Lions tour, it's, it's sort of hard to see anyone outside uh, those players getting in the first test. But the, of course, the problem for selectors will be, Oz, is if someone has a really bad time of it. You know, someone like, I don't know, someone like Dan Lawrence or Rory Burns or Crawley Sibley, whatever, any of those players has a really bad time of it between now and the first test match. You know, they inevitably have to look somewhere else. And also, there may be uh, occasions or instances of uh, players like a Milan who's franchising the IPL, doesn't get mm. to the playoffs, or he doesn't really feature much in their frontline eleven. And therefore, we can come back early and, and stake a claim for that first test. I, I, Milan would be the one guy I might look at in place of either Lawrence or Pope if they're struggling in the, the middle order there. Uh, just because I think, A, as you pointed out, he will be potentially valuable in Australia. And also, he's left-handed. And apart from Burns, all the other top six that you mentioned, top seven, are right-handed. So uh, I, I just think that it's, it's great having a left-handers in the middle order, just to disrupt bowlers. And it's good to have left and right-handed combination in your batting order. I felt actually that was one big weakness of India's team in that first test match in Australia when they got bowled out for 36. And those uh, those Aussies, superb, Cummins, Hazelwood in particular, just plugging away on that just outside off stump line to all right-handed batsmen. And obviously it was an unusual situation and they all got bowled out for 36. But it did help them that they didn't have any left-handers to bowl at. And even one 
in a lineup just is is, is disruptive enough in a, um, a bowler's sort of general makeup to uh, be valuable in a batting order. Mm. But you don't want too many left-handers, of course, going to Australia because then that brings Nathan Lyon into the game. I mean, it's, it's that it's that balance, isn't it? You don't want you don't want too many of either in, in a way. Uh, but I mean, the bottom line is you you've got to go out there and face quality bowlers who've done it before and you know you've got to produce I mean it is the ashes so I mean but that left hand right hand thing is is an issue but if you've got loads of left handers then it does really bring Nathan Lyon into the game talking about left handers we should we should hear a bit more from from David shouldn't we talking about his his batting approach and also as well his approach to television presenting and and commentary mainly presenting that sort of you know what's it like going out to bat what's it like to stand in front of the camera on the the first morning of a lord's test match one thing about david's batting we, we talked about the pleasure he gave to to spectators is he made it look so easy now it probably wasn't that easy Let, let's find out I mean, how, how easy was it for him whether, whether easy is the right word, on those days, those very few days where it all clicks into place, those are rarities, absolute rarities. And on those days, you have, or I certainly had that sort of feeling that everything was, um, again, not to use the word easy, but everything was working. And when things are working, it means your brain is working quickly, your body's working. I mean, for someone who was never reputed to move his feet a lot, what I did do was just enough to get into the right place for me. I can look back at many a day where the rhythm wasn't quite right and where you'd be searching for the, you know, one would be searching for the ball a bit more and rather than letting it come to you and watching it, you know, it's that ability to watch it and give yourself the extra sort of couple of feet, as it were, to make your final judgment. And as soon as you lose that, that's when you really start to struggle. How much did you practice? Ah, good question. Not as much as Jeffrey. One was always made to practice. And it was a question of how you organized your own practice, I think. So a lot of the time I found that just a basic net was not necessarily what I wanted. I would have had probably gone into a net, but with just throwdowns, rather more than rather than just having someone coming steaming in at you um, when you're not really awake. Um, that doesn't help necessarily. Because what you're trying to do, in essence, is reaffirm your confidence, your self-confidence. And therefore, whereas I know some people like sort of the full-on net experience and want to be tested to sort of get the adrenaline flowing, I just wanted to feel better at the end of 10, 15 minutes, whatever, whatever one was allowed at the time. And therefore, you save the adrenaline and you know, all that stuff that goes on up here and in here, you save all that for the moment you walk out into the middle with the SCG is what, 45,000 or so um, in those days. And yeah, that's a lovely feeling. It's, you know, I used to... I used to draw some sort of energy from walking out. I mean, NCG was what, you know, Boxing Day test match was 80,000, give or take. Um, and although most of them were against you, again, you sort of draw energy from that because you soak up that atmosphere. And it's actually a very good test of a, a player's psyche because if you, if you quail when you walk out into those arenas, then you're probably in the wrong job. Um, if you draw, I mean, like a Botham, you know, Ian would, especially in Australia, would walk out into those atmospheres and would double in size. You could sort of see him swell in size as he soaked it up and absorbed the energy because um, he absolutely loved it. And that's, you know, that's, that's what you want. So did, you did you find it hard playing in front of three people and a cat or something or a squirrel? I always love cats. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, 
Um, in honesty, yes. I've always admitted, I've always had to admit to professional failings um, or human failings. And on a bad day, if you haven't summoned up the requisite mental energy as you walk out, there were days I used to sort of hope it would sort of suddenly arrive as if by, um, you know, by courier as I was walking out there. And if you survive 20 minutes, maybe it's sort of, you know, things click mm. back into place again. Mm. But on, on bad days where it sort of failed in a hurry and you hadn't got your mojo going and someone had got you out and you went back and sulked and sort of sat in the dressing room, um, they were horrible days. So, I mean, of course, the incentive is always there. You know you're going to enjoy the day better if you try hard enough to get some runs. And when you get some runs, you try. You know, it's that sort of yeah. uh, upward spiral where you know, things get better and better as you go. I mean, there were, there were bad days. And yes, if you, I mean, there is something to be said. There's a lot to be said for drawing inspiration from having people there to, to watch you and inspire you. Um, you know, there's the sort of sense of having an audience. I'm sure it's, um, I'm sure it's very much like a, a thespian, you know, an actor you know, with a full theater. And all of us who've done theater shows or you know, been in public places to speak, you know, there is again, something which you draw from a number of people who uh, hopefully are gonna listen to you. Um, you draw some sort of inspiration from that. And if you pitch up somewhere, I remember, remember doing a theatre tour way, way, way back in my benefit year in 87. And I found myself in one or two venues, which I won't mention, where the thing was a bit undersold. You always say, well, that's okay, right, come on. You might as well come forward. Don't hide in the back. I can't, you know, it's, mm. have seven people in front of you. You say, right, well, what do you want to hear about? Because I can either give you the full show <laughs> or let's just play a movie or something, you know. Most things work better, I think. If you have any sort of sense of performance, uh, most things work better when you've got the sense that there are people there and in abundance. So what's the experience like then of going out to bat compared to, you know, 10, 29 and 40 seconds when you're about to present the first day of the Lord's Test on Sky, you know, 41, 42, coming, coming to you in 15 seconds, David, mm-hmm. and, you know, you're in front of the camera. What, what, what's that experience like? It's not quite as bad because, let's, let's face it, I mean, I, I, again, there's, what I've just said is the sense of performance and knowing there is an audience and also having you know, your own personal standards. I wanted to get that right. Every, each and every day, I wanted to get that right. So, and you, you, you know that as the presenter of a TV show like that, you can set the tone. You know, if, if you mispronounce or stumble over your words at the start of a half hour buildup, an hour buildup, you know, for me, it would sort of deflate me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you know, for everyone who's working, because there's a team of what, 80 to 100 people working on every broadcast. And they have put heart and soul into producing that broadcast, which you then, you know, it's in your hands to you know, get the whole thing rolling nicely at the top of the show. So I used to take great pride in doing that. I used to enjoy that. But we used to have a thing um, in that last 10 seconds when your microphone is muted and you've got your you know, people like Mark Lynch, excellent director in your ear. Um, you know, so the people in your ear saying, right, let's have a good day then. We had a, a sort of a catchphrase, which was what could possibly, as in what could possibly go wrong? And you get that out of the way then, five, four, three, two, one, music plays, cue on, um, you know, good morning and welcome to Lords, day one of the you know, first test match between England and Australia, what a prospect we have in front of us and all the rest of it, and you're off and running. And I used to love that. Um, so yes, I mean, that, that, was, that was great. I mean, you have that, I mean, the one, the one good thing about broadcasting in that sense is that as we all know, as a batsman in a test match, if you walk out at Lords to open the innings for the sake of argument, uh, which is the equivalent, and the first ball nips back in, goes through the gate and bowls you, that's it. Your day is done. 
Uh, on a really bad day, you might get a second chance later and the same thing could happen. But basically that's ruined the start of your day. Whereas a broadcaster, I mean, the great thing as we all know is that if you do make a mistake, smile. You know, if, you, if something goes wrong, you know, as it were, enjoy the moment rather than sort of trying to shoot yourself. Um, and that's something you have, you have to learn rather quickly. So, I mean, for instance, there was one classic, which I think I can tell against myself, where on one of those mornings at Lords, as it happens, um, we used to have a thing where um, we were promoting something called SkyGo, when Sky was sort of developing apps and things for others who weren't necessarily watching on the big TV. We used to have something called SkyGo. And the line was, you know, blah, 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 we're live all day on, you know, Sky Sports 1, blah, blah, blah. Um, and also via SkyGo. And I said something like via SkyGoer. <laughs> and under my breath said, if I, do you mind if I use, I said bollocks, bollocks. <laughs> I knew I'd said it. Um, you can tell in your ear, and again, you guys, you know broadcaster, you know that in your ear, when you say something you shouldn't, um, it goes quiet. There's a buzz in your ear normally because people are doing things and saying things, you know, come to five, come to seven, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're preparing stuff for you. And there's all sorts of things going. When it goes quiet, you think, oh dear, they heard that. But there was a little bit of an inquiry. And the, the amazing thing was this, that we, we had to play, you know, we, carry on, obviously, you know, it's not, not a great start, but they played the tape back and somehow it hadn't been picked up on the tape. So the prosecution was dropped. And it so happens that Barney, Barney, our very good MD, Barney Francis, our MD of Sky Sports at the time was there. Um, the big boss of Sky, the MD, the sort of MD of Sky as a whole was there as well. Um, so there was this sort of minor sort of flutter in people's hearts as this word might or might not have made the airwaves. Um, but obviously worse things have been said. But I, th I think, yeah, I think at the end of it all, yeah, just that sort of pride in performance makes a big deal. And I, I tried very hard to keep that going for you know, the 20 years I was working for Sky. Mm. Did you always know what you were going to say at the start of a programme or, or did it come off the top of your head? I mean, had you rehearsed it well, or did you, did you, or you just had a rough idea what you were going to say? It was normally a rough idea because if I'd had a couple of months off, you know, say in the winter you've had a, you know, a couple of months off, you come back to the first test of the summer in May, maybe end of May, start of June, and you're thinking, can I still do this or can I remember how to do this? And I'd sometimes in the car, we'd sort of be practicing on the way up to London. So, you know, good morning and welcome to Lords, blah, blah, blah. Couldn't do it. And you might do it, you know, 30 seconds before. It's sort of going through in your mind what you're going to say. And in the end, it's whatever comes out because there's nothing, in, there's nothing to read. It's, it's not okay. scripted. It's just whatever okay. comes out at that moment. So I used to find myself saying, well, okay, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, good morning and welcome to Lords. And if that works, then the rest of it tended to follow. Interestingly, actually, he made broadcasting look as easy as he made batting, funnily enough, didn't he? Uh, he was a, an absolute natural in front of the camera. And I know a lot of people miss him, actually. Uh, he, he's got a very calming sort of presence uh, in front of camera, as he did at the wicket. And it's funny, actually, but, you know, I played against him a few times and... Actually, even though you saw this batsman who looked flowing and, and almost sort of carefree, in actual fact, he, he did, he, it wasn't deliberate. You know, he, did, he wanted to, to look determined, but he just couldn't. It just wasn't in his sort of biomechanical makeup. And actually, when he got out, you know, there were times when he got out flicking the ball down to court fine leg and everyone said, what a lazy shot. You know, and he was absolutely sort of furious with himself. And people thought he didn't care, but he did. He cared passionately, actually. It's just his body language at times made it look as if he didn't. 
Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, there there was there was that ang- anger underneath the surface, wasn't it? We 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 teased him a little bit in the in the virtual cricket club about the night he walked out of that press conference at, at Lords when he had theatre tickets as well. Uh, you know, it, it just sometimes it sort of got the better of him, didn't it? And you talked to Aggers as well. You know that that you know in the dressing room, uh, David, you know did did get annoyed from time to time. But you but you wouldn't think it. He made he, you know, he made batting look sort of very comfortable, and he made uh, broadcasting look uh, you know very easy. Uh, skill as well which of course you know it, some so if it all flows sometimes it is it's a bit like batting if it all flows sometimes it is but you, you know as well as I do that there's, uh, there's a lot going on behind the scenes sometimes you have to sort of hold it together and especially if you're presenting on on television you know there, there are a lot of people talking in your ear at any one time and I think that I the times I've done it there's a temptation just to turn around and say to everyone can everyone just please shut up a minute and let me talk let me concentrate <laughs> on what I'm doing but have you have you nearly <laughs> sworn on air uh, um I I know you've sworn on this podcast a few no times. I've I don't, edited it out. I don't. <laughs> that's you yours um I remember there was an incident at the oval at the end of a of a test match when I was doing the post-match interviews and it was a warm day and I had a bottle of water with me uh, just to, you know, just to have a drink to sort of keep uh, hydrated before you're sort of doing all the interviews. And I didn't notice that the top was off, and it was it, the water was sort of pouring all down my leg. And uh, Joe Root was sort of <laughs> waiting to be interviewed by me, and he was sort of pointing and laughing. And I looked down, and I could see all this water sort of gushing down all over my trousers. And um, at that point, I think I might have said something I shouldn't um, have said. And unlike David, I think it was it one might well have been picked up on the you know on the recording but um anyway i think it's, if it's a very rare thing you allow these things to sort of slip by outside the off stump yeah, we, we, i actually i i actually did have that i was in a booth once doing something for five live and the the headphones were, were playing up and at one point i thought i'd gone off that they you know faded my microphone down and my, i was fiddling about with the headphones and couldn't really hear anything and i went oh shit or something and uh, Mark, I think Mark Pugat had to apologise because my microphone was still live, even though I thought I wasn't actually on air at the time. So, oh, you know, I mean, there but the grace of God go yeah. go all of us, really. The golden rule is, and we're all to- told it, and, you know, we mostly abide by it, is, is always assume that the microphone is live. So you've got to be careful about uh, what you say at, at any particular time, all, all sorts of things, isn't it, as well? I mean, it's... Uh, it's not just swearing, it's all, all sorts taking of your to- Taking your microphone to the toilet to have a wee during a podcast, as Jack Leach did. <laughs> yeah. And we heard the tinkle in the background, didn't we? In, indeed. Um. <laughs> indeed. It's a good lesson. Always assume the microphone is on. And from one excellent broadcaster to another, don't forget, on Wednesday at 7pm, we have Sir Geoffrey Boycott in the Virtual Cricket Club, live from his sitting room in Boston Spa in Yorkshire, very important evening this because he can give some really good stuff about batting and what England can expect and maybe who he thinks are the the right candidates to play for England in that first test in June so looking forward to that worldsbestcricketclub.com Geoffrey Boycott Wednesday night 7pm don't miss it worldsbestcricketclub.com see you there Podcast Network. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.